0: This morning um I'm preaching a sermon that uh while I wrote it, the idea was not mine. Every Sunday not every Sunday, excuse me, every day outside of Sunday, ironically he sends just a weekend one out on Saturday, um I've I'm signed up for David Jeremiah's turning point. He sends out by email just a, a daily devotional that's generally the first thing I do. When I wake up in the morning, uh, if I don't have to pee that bad, I roll over, I grab my phone. Most of the time, it is already in my inbox. I don't know what time it technically goes out, um, you know, because he's out on the West Coast. I don't know what time, but it's usually there by between 6 and 6.30, and I grab it and I read it. It takes me two minutes, but it's how I try to start my day with God. And then I do other devotionals that's a little bit more in-depth, but that's how I start my day. And this one came... I read this one, I believe, on Wednesday, and as, or uh, on Tuesday, excuse me, because I walked into the office and told mom, here's the sermon title, here's the sermon passage. It's not the title that he gave it, it is the sermon passage he used, and it is an idea that he talked about in it that resonated very strongly with me, and I think is something that we all need to walk in a little bit better, because we're none of us are perfect. We're going to talk about overcoming the world today, but oftentimes, when we talk about overcoming the world, it's in some, we we use a lot of militaristic sort of language, right? Or we talk about, like I did this morning, that Jesus, God, right, he's going to overcome the world. It's great. But in the book of 1 John, chapter 5, we, we read that as believers, there's another way that we are supposed to overcome the world. And yes, I know, we overcome by the, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. That's, I believe, in Hebrews. But in this, we see kind of actions that we're supposed to partake in. The thought process we're supposed to partake in to actually overcome the world. And I tell you now, there's no actual warfare involved. It's significantly harder than that. We'll read it. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5. It reads, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of God. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So let's talk about this. I'll tell you right off the jump, the way you overcome the world is love. That's how you overcome the world. God's definition of love. Not the world's, God's definition of love. Let's talk about it. Number one, love your brother. Love your brother. Now, earlier in chapter four, we read, and it's not up there, so don't worry about it. We read, and I'm going to start in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. That's a verse a lot of people use, especially at weddings and stuff like that, right? It's a great verse. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment will we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So, if that's the case, we have to ask the question then, okay, who is my brother? right? Who's my brother? Now, I could tell you my brother is Nathan, uh, insert middle name brush. He doesn't like people to know his middle name, so I won't tell you it. He's been my brother for 29 years and some odd amount of months because he's older than me, so he can only have been my brother for as old as I am. But I think all of us are probably aware it's not what John is talking about. He's not talking about, now, I mean, yes, included are our actual physical blood relatives, but he's not talking about them. So who is he talking about? Verse 1 of chapter 5 answers it. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. So, if you believe in God, you are God's child, making you... Another the brother slash sister of the other people who love God. It's pretty simple. Right? And in a world where, when I last looked this up, the Baptist denomination in America, just America, has over six hundred different types of Baptist church. We are so divided. That even when we agree, we still can't agree. I see this all the time. You guys know I love sports, right? And I see it all the time in sports. You talk about a certain player, and you can be like, Yeah, I really like this guy, but nobody can agree on if they're good or not. Well, that probably means they're okay. But the fact of the matter is that we seek to be divided on almost everything. On almost everything. I could tell you, And I will tell you, my favorite, favorite food to eat is Chinese, American Chinese. I've had authentic Chinese. It's not bad. They have some flavors that I am not accustomed to. But American Chinese food, your Chinese buffet, your Chinese takeout. I love it. Now, as a diabetic, it's also probably the worst type of food I can eat because it's all carbs and sugar. I just don't tell, doc- I don't tell Dr. Patel that I eat Chinese food. But for those of you that know Dr. Patel over here, he has no room to talk because he eats more carbs than almost anybody I've ever met. And he's a diabetic. So I don't have to listen to him. That's not true. I, I, I listen to him. I do my best. But when I when he told me I was diabetic and he said you needed to cut all of this out, I looked him in the eye and said, Doctor, you've worked with my dad for years. he goes, Yup, and I went, I'm my dad's son, and he went, Oh boy. I said, I'm not stopping eating popcorn and I'm not stopping eating candy. I will cut out most things. I will even cut out most candy. I'm not stopping you put a three musketeers in front of me, it's gone. You put popcorn in front of me, it's gone. When Maddie and I first got married, she was amazed and probably slightly appalled at the pure amount of popcorn I ingested on a nightly basis. Because I would make a bowl. It's just a normal-sized bowl. No, it is. It's a fairly normal-sized bowl. I make my own. I have a a stovetop popper. You know, you spin it around. You buy the popcorn kernels. You buy the oil. I love it, right? And I would make... What the, it's not the FDA, it is, uh, uh, no, not the FDA. The people who tell you how much food you're supposed to eat, right, the government that is like, here, this is what you should eat, they would probably be appalled and think that I eat enough popcorn for five or six people. What I say is, you put on a box of macaroni and cheese that it feeds a family of five. It does not. It feeds a family of Sam. Sam. If you're ever wondering about how much you actually eat compared to what they tell you you should be ingesting, look on the back of like cereal and measure out how much they tell you to eat. It's usually like a half a cup. And then pour in a bowl how much you normally eat. They've got no idea. They're just making crap up, I feel like. But it doesn't matter, right? So I love Chinese food. Maddie likes garlic bread. Garlic bread is not Chinese food. I also like garlic bread. It's it's a good item, especially when I'm like my dad on this. I like garlic bread that's soft. I don't like hard, crunchy things that like that. I like crunchy candy, but like my bacon, soft. That's the way to go. Garlic bread, soft. That's the way to go. I like my bagels. The bet. Do you know what the best way to cook a bagel is? Put it in the microwave. It gets rubbery and chewy. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. The butter seeps down into it as it melts. Oh, that's the ticket right there. I like chewy things, I like fruity chewy things. You know what, that's an even better example. I love fruity chewy candies. Starbursts, Swedish Fish, Twizzlers. I have a package of Twizzlers by my bed right now. I love Twizzlers. I don't know that my wife has ever eaten anything fruity or chewy, candy-wise. She'll eat fruits, right? I'm not over here like, she's getting scurvy. No. And she never wants to, and she does not understand why I like them. We're divided on candy. She wants to eat like a Reese's cup. Ugh, that's disgusting. Side note, and I want an answer on this. If you were at Youth Group this week, you're not allowed to answer it, so at least you two in the back. I don't know if you guys were at Youth Group when I asked this question. What is the number one selling candy in the United States by amount of money? You can't answer it either. I know you were there. The number one selling candy in the United States. Do you know what it is? I will tell you this. It's disgusting. It's Snickers. Why you would want to eat that, I'm not sure. They said, take a payday, throw some chocolate over it, and sell it. First off, whoever made a payday was also insane. They were like, take some weird caramel and put peanuts on it. It's like they said, can we make something that will make Sam angry? <laughs> Thank you, Maddie. She goes, it's not that hard. It is. I, I, I'm very much always in control of myself. No. The point is that even in our likes and dislikes, we get divisive right? We get divisive over so many things. And I will tell you this, it is okay to disagree. Disagreement and divisiveness are not the same words. They are not synonyms of each other. It is okay to disagree on candies, on sports, even on some, not all, on some theological matters it is okay to disagree it is not okay to be divisive i'm gonna step out and take a risk here yes adam you put your hand in the air well there you go see he's wrong he, he he's well actually he wasn't wrong this year but either way right it is okay to disagree it is not okay to be divisive if you are being divisive you are not loving those two words cannot coincide with each other. You can't say, well, I love you, but I'm going to seek to divide. That's not how it works. Biblically, that's not how it works. And the key thing is that anybody who is a believer is your brother. Not just those who attend this church. Not just those who are Baptists. Anyone who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior is your brother slash sister, Right? and we're commanded to show love to them. It's a commandment. It's not a choice in the matter. This is how you know, or it's not a a feeling. This is how you know that love is not a feeling. You cannot command feelings. If I looked at Andy right here and I said, Andy, I command you to be irate right now. I don't have that control over you. Now, if Maddie looked at me and said, Sam, I want you to get angry, I can do that very easily. When I had a podcast when I was in in college, we had a segment where I would just yell about something because everybody thought it was great. I would come in each week. They thought it was hilarious. I would have to come in with some topic every week that irritated me. It wasn't hard. I'm going to be honest with you. Right? But I don't necessarily have full command over my feelings. I have command over what I do in my feelings. Right? And so if love is a commandment, that means that it can't be a feeling. It has to be a choice. We have a choice to love one another. It's why when somebody says, well, I fell out of love with this person. No, you didn't. You fell out of infatuation with them. You don't fall out of love. You make the choice to stop loving. That's the problem. We've allowed ourselves to believe that love, it's just not something you have a choice in. Show me the place in Scripture where it says you fall in love with somebody. Nowhere. Because it doesn't exist. Now, I'm not denying that some people are distinctly easier to love than other people. Right? We were at our, we had our young adult group this past week, and Nathan's talking about something. And he goes, well, all the teachers liked me. And I said, Nathan, I don't, I don't want to alarm you, but you are a distinctly more likable person than I am. And he went, oh, it's the truth. Some people are more likable and lovable than others. Doesn't matter. We're supposed to love. Love your brother. Number two on your note sheets. How do we love then? How do we love? How do we show love to people? First, you have to observe, observe, observe uh, and follow his commandments. His being gods. Observe and follow his commandments. That's actually the simpler one. It's just the list of do's and don'ts, technically, right? We all like to say, the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. Of course it is. There are multiple lists of do's and don'ts in there. The phrasing is the Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts. But of course there's a list. There's, almost every book has a list of do's and don'ts in it. Follow them. And if you're confused about what to do, follow what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you will fulfill the whole of the law. Because if you love God, guess what you're going to do? What he says. And yes, you do have to know what he says. We've talked, I, I don't know how many times I've said over the past year, study this book memorize it learn it get into it because yes to have actually do his commandments you have to know what he says but he also gave us this beautiful thing we call a conscience how many of you have seen pinocchio right does anybody here have a cricket on their shoulder that whispers in their ear i need to talk to you we have a couple people in here who might be clinically insane Right, so we don't technically have, right, we don't have the good angel, bad angel, right? We don't have that sort of thing. But look throughout history and across the world. There is a common thread of what is right and what is wrong across the whole world. You can even say, well, but pastor, the Aztecs committed real human sacrifice. Yes, they did. It was still wrong to murder. And you may say, but pastor, that is murder. I understand that. They did not count their priests sacrificing somebody to their gods as murder. But if you, just a citizen, went and killed somebody in the streets, guess what? It was murder. Murder, thieving, lying, all this kind of stuff, right, has always been wrong across the nations and across time. Why? Because it's innately built into us. You don't have an excuse not to follow God's commandments. You can't claim ignorance. As they would say, ignorance is no excuse of the law. So observe them. And then secondly, and significantly more difficult, they shouldn't be burdensome. When I read that verse, when I was doing my devotions that morning, I went, oh, that hurts. Because sometimes it is very burdensome to do the right thing. And I don't mean in a well, some people aren't going to like it. Some people are going to fight you on it. right? It goes against what the world says. That's not the burden that it's talking about here. The burden that is being referred to here is, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I want to do my own thing. We're not going to be perfect at it. Even Paul right, goes, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Right? We're not going to be perfect at it, but the key is that it should not be... A lot of you in here have had kids, grandkids, right? Some of you in here are young enough. You might still do this. I still do this sometimes. When your parent says, go take out the garbage, and you go, right now? Yes. That seemed pretty evident by the command, go take out the garbage, It was not, go take out the garbage in 20 minutes. It was, go take out the garbage. And you go, And even though you do it, hopefully, it's not with the right attitude. Doing the right thing, quite frankly, church, is not good enough. You have to do it with the right attitude involved, too. Now, Even if you don't have the right attitude, you still need to do the right thing. And there are days, when, moments, when I have to do the right thing, and boy, I do not want to, and I've got a stinky attitude about it. You still have to do the right thing. But what God is requiring is not do the right thing with a bad attitude. God is requiring do the right thing with the right attitude. It does not mean you have to be happy as you take out the garbage, right? You don't have to go, oh boy, I get to take out the garbage now. I get to stop what I am doing and take out the garbage. How incredible a privilege is that? No. But there's a middle ground there where you can go, okay, Dad. Okay, Mom. You get up. You take out the garbage. You do it. You don't grumble. You don't complain. And then guess what? You probably get to go back to what you were doing originally unless they have more for you to do. And if I may, I have been told by multiple parents that the the number one reason to have kids is so that you can have slave labor. That's not true. It's probably the number two reason. No. But the fact of the matter is that, no, God is not calling you to be happy and love every single thing that you're called to do. He is calling you to do it with the right attitude, though. So, number three. I know, this is weird. Normally, I only have two points on my sermons. Number three. We will overcome. So, he's talked all about love and keeping the commandments. And then he goes right into no breaks. This is John who's writing, right? No breaks, nothing, just overcoming the world. Which means that in the context, overcoming the world has to do with keeping God's commandments and loving people. You will overcome the world, not people. You see, oftentimes we get caught up in and wrapped up in this idea of our enemies are people, whether inside or outside of the church. And it's not the case. Can those people be doing things that are wrong? Yes. Can they be doing things that undermine God? Of course, right? I'm not saying that every person is fine. Not at all. I am saying, though, that as believers, you find me the place in Scripture where we are to strive against a human with the tools God has given us. I'm not talking about, I want to say this, I'm not talking about war and that sort of thing, right? I'm talking about you personally. You have a quote-unquote enemy adversary, right? The antagonist to your protagonist at work, at church, at school, wherever. We're not called to strive against them. We are called to strive against and overcome the world. Now, sometimes that's going to involve getting them involved. Sometimes it's going to involve things that they don't like. Most of the time, it's going to involve things that you don't like. But we overcome the world. And he says you have to believe it in order to do it. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's who overcomes. You might say, well, then it comes right down to faith. Yes, partially. But go back to the first thing we talked about. You believe the Son of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. We know this. We love the children of God. When we love God and observe his commandments, it's a cycle. Yes, you overcome by believing in God, but if you believe in God, guess what you're going to do? Love. That's how you show your belief in God. Right? Actions don't save us, but as James says, I will show you my faith by my actions. We live in a world that continuously, it seems, is getting stronger and stronger against us. Persecution gets worse and worse almost daily in most countries. We live in a world that for a very long time supported Christianity, then tolerated Christianity, then was quietly opposed to Christianity, and now most of the world is openly opposed to Christianity. It is. Okay. One, that shouldn't shock us. The Bible talks about it all over the place. Two, it does not change what we are called to do. And three, as Jesus himself says in John, I believe it's chapter 14, take heart. I have overcome the world. So we really don't have anything to fear. This all comes down to this. You want to make a change in your world? And yeah, guess what? Those of us gathered in this room are probably not going to be the ones who directly overcome a, a, a massive thing, Right? Right? Louis Birch will probably, most likely not, single-handedly change the whole course of America. But if Louis steps up, and then John steps up, and then Andy steps up, and then Laura steps up, and slowly, surely, you change the town, and then the town starts to change the county. And the county starts to change the state and so on and so forth. You're right. It, John, Louis couldn't do it on his own. Well, that's not true. If God wanted to, he could. Probably won't. And oftentimes that causes us to give up because we feel we can't do it alone. And you're right, we can't. We're not called to be alone. We decided to be alone because we were divisive and divided ourselves instead of loving. So let's apply this to our lives. I ask you this question Is following God burdensome to you? It's okay right now if the answer is yes. You may be in a place facing a trial, a tribulation, an issue where it is very burdensome. I would say this What burden are you carrying? Because God promises that His burden is easy and light. So if the burden you're carrying is not that, guess what? You're not carrying the right burden. I'm not standing up here and saying that following Jesus is easy. It is not. I'm not standing up here and saying that there'll never be burdens in this life. There will be. In fact, you're probably going to go from burden to burden to burden, right? Very rarely do you get a lot of time where there's not a burden in your life. But Jesus promises his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So if the burden that you are carrying of following him is heavy, guess what? You're not carrying the right one you're not carrying the right one so take it off and put it down and let God put the right one on your shoulders when i was uh, in in college i went on a uh, i took a class called wilderness trip went up to canada spent 5 or 6 days in the wilderness with a um canoe and you'd have to portage over the over the land and then you you'd, you'd canoe uh and and You'd camp out at night. It was a group of like six or seven of us. And it was this great experience. I'm, it was an incredible experience, right? And when you portage, somebody carries the packs, somebody carries the boat. And the boat has these pieces of wood inside that would have a little bit of circles cut out of them so it would rest easier on your shoulders. Except for the canoe that me and my partner had. We had one of the older style ones, which was just a straight metal rod that you placed on your shoulders to carry the canoe. The longest portage we had was about a mile and a half portage across a very uh, up and down wooded area. Would anybody like to guess who drew the short straw of having to carry the canoe on that one? Me. I carried that canoe. I'd like to say that I didn't take any rest, that I just powered through. It's not true, it's not true. I was absolutely exhausted by about a quarter of a mile in, because the canoe is about 50 pounds on a straight metal rod that not only are you carrying, you are balancing on your shoulders with that rod. A couple of days later, we ended up switching canoes with somebody and I used the one that was wood and molded out. And I went, holy cow, this is about 50,000 times easier because it rests on my shoulders instead of digging into them. That's what this is like. When you are carrying the burden and it is burdensome to follow after God and you're carrying the wrong one, it's like you're using that metal one and it just digs into you. And every step is agony. And there are miles to go in this life. But God can take that one and put the right one on. Is following God burdensome to you? If it is, I would encourage you to figure out why. Talk to him and figure out why. Maybe you're just in a place where your sin life is way out of whack right now. And you need to repent and turn around and follow. Maybe you're in a place where it's not your physical sin life, but your thought life is way out of whack. You are allowing Satan, or even yourself, to just pour lies into you. It happens. And you believe that, you begin to believe the, the lies that, you're, that you tell yourself, or that Satan puts into you. And it becomes this heavy burden. It's not the right one to carry. And number two, here's your practical one. I wrote, love and overcome. Here's what I mean by that. I don't know in your life how you need to show love. I don't. Everybody in this room or listening online or listening into the future is different. Everybody's different. And you have different situations that you're in. Different people that you're around. But I know this. You should show love anyway, especially to believers, to strengthen them, and especially to unbelievers in the hope that God would lead them to Christ through you or through somebody else. So here's your your practical, your challenge. Talk to God and figure out how he wants you to love. This, this week, this day. It is not a, well, I did it for a few days. This is great. I can stop. Nope. It is an every moment of every day thing. I try not to give you too many of those because it can get overwhelming. But God did it, so I feel that I can. How do you need to show love? How is God asking you to show love? To whom is God asking you to show love? Where in your life are you being divisive? Because we all are, in some way, shape, or form. And how can you work to be non-divisive? Yes, disagreements are going to happen. But there's a difference between divisiveness and disagreement. Where can you show love to people? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you that you give us this opportunity to show love. And that in so doing, we overcome the world around us, the darkness around us, the evil that's around us by showing love. Father, I pray that for each and every one of us that we would not be divisive. That yes, we can have disagreements, but that we would work through and walk through those disagreements with each other in a godly way. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us that you would, you would pour on us how to love. And to the name of your son that we pray, amen and amen.